0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is uh, me, Robert Phoenix. I am back for another edition of the Friday Forecast, and um, I'm going to be joined here today with, uh, or by, with, by Russ Winter, coming in all the way from the, uh, the Czech Republic, and hopefully, is he in here? Is he here? There you are, Russ. How's it going?
1: Uh, living, living the dream, as uh, Giuseppe always says. Living the dream.
0: <laughs> so real quick, um, we're going we're gonna to dive into this Texas thing. Um, but before we do, let me just give people some background on you and your website. If you're new to the show, uh, Russ Winter is an American expat. He lives in uh, Prague of the Czech Republic, formerly Czechoslovakia. And um, he has a website called winterwatch.net which is one of the c- cutting edge websites in terms of kind of breaking down events and really kind of going into the deep dark uh, crevasses and corners of some of these events that, uh, that uh, seem to be a constant script uh, if it were in our lives on, on, a, on a frequent basis. And uh, just does absolute yeoman's work. It's a great looking site. We're going to be going there today to look at a, an article he wrote about a shooting in 2020, going back to 2016. So we're going to be uh, diving into that as well as some of the other anomalies. There's always anomalies with these events. And the more that we spend time with them, um, the more that they begin to emerge and the official narrative doesn't hold up very well. So yeah, this, back- this
1: one, this one in Texas is just weird. Huh? First, it kind of started off with nothing. Right. And then they kept changing the stories and putting new elements in the stories and then changing that again. And, and then finally the official story, I guess it's official story is just what a mishmash, what a shitstorm they finally came up with. Just, you know, at first I really didn't want to look at this one because I, I thought that sh- Buffalo is so shoddy that I didn't want to draw attention away from that one. Right. And uh, unfortunately, this is, we're forced to look at this Texas
0: one too. You know, I, just to echo your sentiment, I'm really not that interested in these events anymore. I mean, I, honestly, when, here, so let me just clarify that. I think it's important to talk about them because we have to dispel them. This is, this is about the only thing we can do with them at this point, but we've, they've just been strung out now for quite a while. And each time this thing comes up, I'm like, here we go again. We're going to have to hear the anti-gun rhetoric. We're going to have to hear all these crazies and loonies come out and start shaking their fists and, you know, banging on the, uh, on their, on their pulpits. Somebody who you are probably familiar with Steve Kerr lost his cookies last week. And, and it was the same day that the Golden State Warriors were playing the Dallas Mavericks uh, in Texas, by the way, on the day of the shooting. So if it was that big of a deal, why not just stop the game? Right? Just just stop the game and uh, make it, uh, you know, unplayable at that point. But of course, Steve Kerr has to come out and, and uh, get worked up about it and then storm off the, the, the interview process. And what was really interesting, Russ, and we'll, we'll get, get I
1: I missed that, but you know, Steve Kerr is a really great individual, you know, he's really one of my dad, one of my dad's favorite players. I know, I know (laughs)
0: there's, there's a lot to like about Steve Kerr. But when he gets into this area, he becomes imminently unlikable. It's like he, he cannot parse out, for instance, a weekend in Chicago, he'll never talk about that. He can't talk about the Uyghurs in China. He'll never talk about that. But whenever the gun issue comes up, he's he's frothing at the mouth.
1: For some reason, for some strange reason, right?
0: Well, his yeah. father, Malcolm, was a teacher at American University <laughs> right. in Beirut. And I'm con- pretty convinced that that was a hit. That wasn't random. That wasn't just some wacky right. terrorist who went in. Kay Griggs talks about Malcolm Kerr, Steve Kerr's dad. And... Um, yeah, I'm not convinced that it was, and, and even if it was, you would think that Steve Kerr would be against terrorism, right? I mean, if that's true, but that's not what's happening here. So what's interesting, Russ, we'll, we'll get into your thoughts, your takes, and some of the things that you've been uncovering. is that yesterday I played a clip from the father, kind of always Martinez, Martinez. He's the father of the kid who supposedly, I these not the word supposedly, got shot in Santa Barbara uh, at, in Isla Vista with the uh, the incel killings of one Elliot Roger, which I don't believe happened. Neither do um, I. And if you look at uh, Martinez, talk about his son and talk about guns, he's almost at that same Pitch and at that same level as Steve Kerr, and they both do kind of the same thing. You know, Steve Kerr walks off the set, but uh, Martinez doesn't. But it's very close. And while Steve Kerr isn't crying or faking crying, which I'll at least give him credit for, Martinez gets to this fever pitch, and he gets angry and he's crying, but there's no tears on his face. And then this guy comes out and says, "I'm going to dedicate my life." to gun control for the rest of my days. And after about a month, you don't hear from him again. Right. So he's, he's there to play a role. He's there to, to catalyze the event. And now every time one of these events comes up, as long as Steve Kerr has the ability to have a microphone, he will be given that microphone in order to press his agenda in every other area. I think Steve Kerr is probably, you know, pretty, pretty good guy. I mean, he's a great coach. Seems like he has great rapport with his players, but this is his, pardon my term soft white underbelly and it's not yeah, he's been maybe
1: brainwashed on and i'm not quite sure what these guys are proposing that you do with guns do they have a definitive proposals i mean this just seems like this general well emotional.
0: apparently there's this there's this bill that's been floating around for a while i think it's the barbara lee bill which never ever gets voted on or passed because it's just so it basically ends the second amendment um, and that's what he's promoting. He's promoting the passage of this bill and that there are 50 senators who are negligent and that um, he hopes that they get off on the power and the money as it relates to the uh, the slaughter of the innocents. Which yeah, always comes I mean, up I just with think there's
1: a, I think that you know, I think that guns get the attention, but I think there's some really other big issues behind these things, you know, one which I kind of hinted at before we came on the show, the article I sent you about the Dallas and what happened on this particular one. And also in, in lesser sent in Buffalo, but here you have this uh, police just making jackasses out of themselves. Inept, not, resp- not responding. I think that's by design. Yes. That's exactly what happened in the Dallas police shooting in 2016 with a guy named Mecca Johnson. Mm-hmm. And he was like a carpenter out of the army you know, not a trained marksman, not a weapons expert, just a carpenter. I call him super carpenter. And he just ran rings around the Dallas police. Come on, this guy, this guy's running around outdoors for 12 minutes, wrecks his car or runs the car off the road, jumps out of the car out in the open, running around shooting randomly. Uh, Somehow gets into the, the, School. School is supposed to be locked up and secured. So how did that happen? Engages some police officers in the school and wounds them. How come these eighteen-year-old kids, without any military and police training, are able to just dominate the police? How does that work?
0: Well, that's something I brought up with um, this this uh, event in Evaldi. When you really break it down, what well, we're going to and I'll do it here for a second is that you have supposedly this kid Ramos who um, doesn't have any real presence at a firing range at all. Okay. And I live in Texas and yeah, you can fire some guns every now and then, but if you're consistent with firing guns, it'll get somebody's attention and they'll call the cops, even well, though it's, it's exp- Texas. It's, it's
1: expensive to get training and the guy in Buffalo, same thing. 18 year old kid. Uh, didn't have a job, managed to secure uh, that weapon, that Bushmaster, and really knew how to use it. I mean, that guy was just very proficient with that gun. How'd that happen? How's that even possible?
0: Right, and, and if in you the go case of firing
1: range, you'd have to have somebody probably tra- work with you and train you.
0: So uh, the, you'd and have and to
1: have it, some yep. military background or some kind of a background that, that neither of these kids have. So that's a real kind of a ridiculous premise of this whole thing that they're that good with these guns.
0: Right. Right. And, and again, I pointed this out yesterday that when you're in a situation like that, and I've been to i I've been to a firing range and even under very controlled circumstances, your adrenaline is, is, is high, right? Because you know, the gun is going to be loud and it's going to have a kick. Even, even something like an air 15, which is minimal. You're still going to experience that. So, your adrenaline from the moment you're you get within like you know six feet within a gun, your adrenaline goes up because of what it can do. It is not something that is an ordinary device, not many people use on a daily basis. That's number one. You get into a situation where your adrenaline is through the roof because theoretically you're gonna go into that school and you're gonna start killing, right? And maybe If you believe the story that he shot his grandmother, his adrenaline is already through the roof. And when your adrenaline is really, really high, and you know this in sports, you can't always perform as well, right? You have to you have to control your adrenaline so that you can be functional in that moment.
1: I mean, they have you know in military they have to get people to overcome that. That's right. even, Even trained soldiers have a hard time in combat and combat situations overcoming that. Some some never do. Some are just worthless in combat situations. So yep. that, so the idea that he could go and kill all these people, you know, combining the two, the Buffalo guy and this one, and uh, what is it? How's it pronounced? Uvalde?
0: Uvaldi, which is where Matthew McConaughey is from. Which so
1: Uvalde, is, they're just uh, cold stone killers. Really?
0: So on the flip side, you have three cops who do get the training and they have to put they have to put range time in every month that's part of their deal they got to go there they got to shoot they got to fill out their little time card and they have been in situations theoretically where their adrenaline has been challenged well what happens he takes out 3 of them 3 of them
1: yeah. and he's running around outside for 12 minutes somehow manages to get into this uh, the whole Intervention or the interdiction of, of this armed kid just seemed non-existent, totally right. Up, non-existent, right?
0: It's a, it's, it's just, it, he shows up and he, he's kind of a Nicholas Cruz clone in some ways in Nicholas Cruz being the supposed shooter in Parkland and same profile. He's troubled. Uh, there's intervention with, um, uh, you know the the schools and um, you know the the CSP, is, so they have a profile on Nicholas Cruz, and then they have a profile on uh, Salvador Ramos. So it's another Nicholas Cruz kind of kind of cutout in a lot of ways. But getting back to those cops, you know those cops are wearing some form of body armor. They always do. Cops have a they have a vest, and in that vest they have. They're usually, and this is something that we don't see, by the way, they usually have body cams, no body cams, there's no body cams, they have body cams, they have their comms, they have, they have two pistols, they have one on their hip, and usually they'll have one in their, in their, uh, uh, in their pouch and their gear. So there's that, they already have a form of body armor. Um, now, I don't know what they're wearing on their heads, maybe they're wearing their baseball caps. Who knows? But for Nicholas, not Nicholas Cruz, Salvador Ramos to down those police, he's got to hit a target area that does not include the body armor, that does not include the vest that they're wearing. So he's either got to get them below the waist, in the face, or he's got to get them with their arms, which in many cases are probably flailing at that point. So in order to get those three shots, right, he's got to be very, very specific, specific and good. And this is a guy who supposedly played Fortnite. And Russ, you know what this reminds me of? And I'm, we're going to get into this, this this piece here. I just wanted to, to set the stage for this. This reminds me of the hijackers of 9-11 who took two flying lessons and were <laughs> supposedly right. able to fly those planes into yeah. the Twin Towers, right? So we're supposed to believe that Salvador Ramos, who has played Fortnite and Call of Duty, that's his training. Like that's yeah. how he gets good at this. The whole thing's fucking. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's cartoon world. You know, yeah. the same thing. The same thing happened at Buffalo. He, hit, yeah, is just an expert shot, and that was strange because you got two ladies playing possum on the ground, and he just goes and shoots them. Uh, he right. shoots one in the head, and then actually, there's a uh, there's a video that James Fetzer and Brian Davidson put out an analysis of that whole shooting that people need to go see. It's really amazing. It, I mean, it'll bust this thing wide open if enough people see it. And uh, in that in that video is actually a clip, I think, from one of the gun companies or something, showing the effect of that two two two, two three bullet yeah. on yeah. on a head. It just blows. It just blows your skull apart. Well, nothing right. like that happened. Nothing like that happened when he did the coup de on the,
0: the possum lady. Possum lady, yeah. Yeah. At that, at that distance, are you kidding me? I mean, come on. It'd be, it'd be like, movie. it'd be
1: like a watermelon, just splattered all over the place. It'd be a David Cronenberg
0: movie at that point. Yeah.
1: That didn't happen. So then he, then he goes and uh, the so-called security guy just pops out of nowhere. Almost like a CGI. And I showed it to several people and that's what they thought it was. Uh, that's the position you're going to take You're, former police officer and you're just going to pin yourself to the wall behind a kind of like a cracker or a chip
0: stand. So what's interesting, and I never thought about this until you just brought this up, is that we have a whole generation raised on video games. And yeah, not just cartoon, I mean, yeah,
1: cartoon world, right?
0: Cartoon, cartoon world. So when somebody pops up like that, it almost looks like CGI to a generation that's played video games, that could be real. Yep. Because that's how they perceive a certain type of reality. So we're dealing with a whole generation of beings that have been modified, quite frankly, to believe that that thing is real. Just like previously, there was a whole generation of beings modified to believe that if it's on TV, it's real
1: you got another generation that, that probably could see through it but doesn't want to look at it or you know refuses to even engage in it that's the other thing going on
0: well they're 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 on the clock they're 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 like looking at their chips and they want to maintain they want to hold on to their chips because if the shit hits the fan they want to make sure that they still have all their chips in place so that their whatever whatever end game they have is going to be relatively comfortable and safe so they don't but want that
1: to that security them. guy was not trained he just shot him and you know anybody worth their metal would have been uh, in a shooter pose somewhere presenting a low target ambushed him and like right. you said in the beginning shooting him in the knee shooting him in the ankle shooting him in the butt all and all kinds of targets that <laughs> that body armor doesn't protect your whole
0: body no it, it doesn't protect your whole body but in the case of somebody like Salvador Ramos, who is trying to take down three police officers. You know, think, again, you just got to think about this. They've got the vests on, their arms are moving targets. Maybe there's the potential of hitting them in the head. So really, what are they, what are they, what, what's available? It's the legs. And in order to take out all three, right, you'd have to be really, really good and not take on, any fire from the either. like So if you're hitting one and maybe you're trying to hit the other than the other, first of all, I guarantee you that those cops are trained to not be in a bunch. They are trained to be spread out. Right? So it's not like bowling pins. Oh, let's just all gather together. Now in a riot situation, they'll stay together. That's a whole different thing. When you're dealing with a crowd and a mob, you don't want to be spread out because the mob will pick you off. But in a situation like this, where it's three on one, you know, here's your triangle offense right here. You want spacing, right? You yeah, want ambush.
1: Sp- there, you got three different points of ambush. That's right. Set up on somebody. That's right. So even it's, take- it's absurd that he would even, you know, he would even try to engage these guys. It doesn't make any sense at all. It'd right. be over.
0: Right. And, and they had a drill on March 22nd at the same school. So you would think that, they would have some kind of understanding about what to do. Hey, it was just a few months ago before you, you actually practice this thing. Oh yeah. Are you going to bunch up like that? No, you're going to spread out so that you could have a triangulation on the suspect doesn't happen. And not one of them manages to stop him. That is a huge, right from the jump, we got a mile wide hole in this thing. Let's talk about your art up here a little bit more. I've got it up on the screen as you can probably see.
1: Yeah, it's a different angle that I think we need to look at. Uh, the, the Buffalo thing was a little different. I think that's just anti, kind of an anti-white agenda. You know, whites are terrorists, extremists. That's the right. agenda right. there. Right. But right. the, but the uh, one in Texas is right out of the Macaw Johnson case. So what happened is that, he just ran circles in a similar way to what we just described around these Dallas police. They couldn't touch him. And I think he ended up killing five wounding 11 or something like that. He just had a very high uh, kill ratio to hit ratio. Uh, The the end game is what I would call a quasi federalization of local police. And they're going to use the Israeli security model. Now, recent or leaks that came out by George Soros back around 2014, 2015, have revealed that he's pushing this whole agenda. So there's an article out called Leak Memo Reveals Soros Plan for Federally Controlled Police. And then Obama was on record for being being for this as well. And then Donald Trump echoed it in a post-convention interview with the New York Times, says we're going to federalize every police department in this country. So I mean that's not something that can be done overnight because you have to overcome some local resistance to get there, and so it kind of it's just been kind of on the back burner. But there's been a number of these uh, what I would call stage deceptions where the key component is is police yoke, yokelism, yokel, you know yoke, local yokels, untrained, unable to handle little like, kids with firearms, things like that. Mm-hmm. So Trump, was, Trump had an ominous call for, quote-unquote, changing the playbook. And here, here's what he said on a Fox and Friends show when he was running for office. He said, our local police, they know who a lot of these people are. They're afraid to do anything about it because they don't want to be accused of profiling, and they don't want to be accused of all sorts of things. He argued that the United States should follow Israel's policing protocols, so essentially what he's speaking to is pre-crime you know profile for what right sure you got to be aware of the criminals in your community but what what does that mean that means you can just keep an eye on them for sure and have surveillance on them he says Israel has done an unbelievable job and they will profile that profile they see something that's suspicious they will profile they will take that person in you see, you see that yep they take the person in and check and check them out do we have a choice? Look what's going on. Do we really have a choice? We're trying to be so politically correct in our country, and this is only going to get worse. So then, uh, in a August interview, Trump proposed the Mossad model for combating "quote unquote" terrorism. So all these guys are on board. Trump, uh, certainly Biden. I think Biden, you know, Biden is just going to follow up aggressively on what. Uh,
0: yeah, Trump was, for, Trump, Trump was for red flag laws. Like he, and, I, and I think he thought um, those were a good idea because uh, Ivanka uh, and um, uh, Jared uh, said they were. So he was pro-red flag law. Um, he's backed uh, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, who is pro-red flag. And for people that aren't aware what red flag means... If you display any kind of suspicious behavior, you are red flagged and therefore you cannot own a gun. It's like it's like pre-crime. It's like mind crime. So if they believe that you're capable of doing something that's dangerous, then it will disqualify you from owning a firearm. So this is something that Trump has been behind and supported. What's interesting is that the uh, the no gun zone for schools that was brought into being by Joe Biden he introduced that when he was a senator. so think about that this is all Joe Biden stuff the no there's and when we have these shootings theoretical shootings where are they occurring they're occurring in school zones where there's no guns right. absolutely absolutely no guns it, so, and I know not everybody can do this but if you're not homeschooling your kid at this point, there are so many random variables you're leaving them up to, even in some of the better schools, you're still dealing with random variables. So I think this is really a move about, you know, securing your kids safety and, 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 their, and their, uh, their intellectual capacity by taking, taking possession of that. Let's take, I'll talk a little bit more about this, um, this character in Dallas here was i was looking at his photo i mean ross he looks so lifeless there with his dashiki of course it's a purple dashiki and we know that we're in the purple revolution um he just looks so lifeless it almost even looks like it could be photoshopped
1: yeah he just goes and goes in front of a, a nail place on a strip mall a beauty nail place and to pose <laughs> really <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah i mean that's that's an old story that people probably don't remember but he had a stereotypical terrorist facebook page that was looked like it was put up by the same hegelian dialectic operative that did dylan roof synthetic uh, fraud instead of roof's rhodesian flag and kkk symbolism johnson portrayed a pan african flag and a uh, black power symbol. So that's the idea of, you know, getting your extremist message across to the plebes out there. Uh, so he decided to go to a strip mall that looked like a green screen to me and pose in front of a local beauty shop and a regalia and make a black power fist. And that was posted on his Facebook page. And then there were a number of stories and confirmed rumors that Johnson was involved with radical Islam. Naturally, he's a big anti-Semite. They always get that angle in there as as well uh because that's 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 your shadow language that's your uh you know your narrow linguistic program that kind of triggers response in most people
0: yeah that's true it has that effect
1: just line it up all these different boogeymen and positions that these people take and uh You know the thing about the guy in Buffalo. I don't want to just. I I want to get this in because I don't want to digress too much. But the guy who said go after high value targets that was in the uh, manifesto. Well, did he go after high value targets?
0: No, Uh,
1: no. He went after grandmothers, black grandmothers. Great replacement was that great replacement? I mean, those people that he allegedly killed were like probably seventh, eighth generation Americans. Been here for probably as long as any Americans. So that didn't make, nothing made any sense. He had, he was, a, he loved at Anders Breivak, the Norwegian
0: killer. By the way, the Norwegian killer physically could not have done what he did over the period of time and kill that many people in two separate locations. Sorry. Not happening. Yeah,
1: I think so. But anyway, the whole idea that he, that that's his hero. Well, who did he kill? Who did he kill? 72 Norwegian children.
0: White Norwegian
1: White. children. What's that? What's that have to do with the great replacement? Right. So exactly. the the narrative, or the rhetoric doesn't match the actions, and they don't. They don't on any of these guys. Now I don't. I don't. The one in Texas, I guess, is not political. It's probably more. This is more of a pre-crime, mental health. Health. Uh, being able to grab people, get them off the street, you know, before they act out. Uh, some gun control, I'm sure. But also, I think that I think the big part of that is also selling the idea of a different type of police force, people that can handle somebody like this.
0: The, the, the rage, right? 2020, uh, summer 2020, defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. And... Because yeah,
1: they're racist and they're incompetent. That's the whole message.
0: Right, right, exactly. And so what happened is we saw... A high degree of lawlessness I'm straight out of a Batman movie. And what's going to be the effect of that on people who live in those high crime and lawless areas like Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, New York City, Chicago, you're going to want more police because you're seeing the result of this really soft relation with crime. Well, we're not going to recognize it. But if, we, if we don't recognize it, Well, we don't have to report it. So the statistics are down. And then philosophically, it's not there. You know, if you're not there to watch a tree fall in the forest, then how can there be crime? Right. So there's all these weird kind of justifications for that. But then what happens is that there's the reality, and people are getting their homes broken into regularly. Um, They're being assaulted, beaten up, sexually violated, in some cases maimed and murdered. And now Biden just came out two or three weeks ago and said, well, we don't want to defund the police. We want to give the police more money. We want to give them more money. Well, why do they want to give them more money? So they can go out and buy more unused, like heavy duty assault equipment from DHS. Because that's what they did when Obama was president. DHS was offloading all their assault equipment to local police um, uh, uh, departments. And then, but
1: then, but I think the next logical extension of that is sure you militarize them. Right. First, you right. De, first you you neuterize them, yep. and make them kind of inept and weak. Right. And then you give them a bunch of arms the DHS. But then there's going to be a control over that. That's how they get the national control, and they bring in a bunch of uh, goons to run the show, a bunch of Stasi, Cheka types.
0: Well, they they sent during the Obama administration they set up a program where these uh sergeants and police chiefs uh, sheriffs would go to israel and they would train with the idf that's what was happening they train with the idf and then they go back to the states and every now and then their idf trainers would come over that's the other part of this they'd come over ferguson is one of those places so the, the police chief of ferguson had been to israel to train with the IDF. And then we have the whole thing with Michael Brown, you know, where they, they IDF that thing, that's that's to be debated. But we can see the, the kind of the right and the left hand of this thing. You're getting the, the militarized equipment from DHS, and then you're getting the training from the Israelis who just see how they treat the Palestinians. And you'll understand how the Israelis deal with so-called uh, criminals. And then the other part with the Israeli thing is that you've got this whole uh, Unit 8200, uh, which is run by Paul Singer, and they're all these kind um, like like on the spectrum savants that are drafted out of the IDF, and they're like their super cyber group in Israel. And they are trained to get into surveillance, pre-crime, thought crime, all those things, and to ultimately integrate them into this global system where they know who you are, they know what you're capable of, they know what your predilections are, and they can basically assemble a psychographic profile on anybody at any given moment. And if there is the right permission, they can do exactly what they're trying to do here with somebody like Salvador Ramos, which is take him off the streets.
1: Yep. That's exactly it. And then, and then there's also infiltration of the local police that takes time, but you just, one after another, you get these strange individuals, these fifth columnists that turn up and you know we see it every day, whether it's the, the transgender lady that's running the secretary of health. I mean, just all, all these bizarre people,
0: the secretary, you, know, secretary. you, you almost didn't put the th in there. It sounded like the secretary of Hell, right? Yeah.
1: Secretary <laughs> like of Hell, right. <laughs> or or you get this uh lady that's handling the I mean just kind of the profile of these people. You get somebody like this lady that's handling the uh, uh program for the
0: the baby formula?
1: Baby formula you see the picture of her? Yeah, let's bring let's bring her. her up here. You got it? You I'm have it? Do it?
0: I'm gonna do it. let's got I'm gonna find it. It'll take me uh, she looks
1: like she's got a it looks like she's got a uh Gingerbread house out in the forest.
0: <laughs> um, she, so I've seen her before. Let me, she's a, let's see. She's these, are, a, these are
1: the people that are going to run everything, including the, the nationalized police. Trust me.
0: Oh, she's, she's like horrible looking. Absolutely. And I've seen her before. I think she's a Senator, isn't she? Or is she, a, um, hold on. Or maybe she might be a congressman.
1: Yeah, how does somebody like that even get elected?
0: Yeah, here we go. Freaks. Here we go. You find, right it? Here. You find right. it? Oh
1: yeah. Oh
0: yeah. All right.
1: I mean, we're we're kind of digressing, and I mean, but I'm just this is what I imagine happening. This is who I see running the national police, people like this. Freaks. Yeah. <laughs> You should, you should get a picture of her in full body garb. See what she's wearing.
0: Purple hair, right? Of course, purple—the color of the day. Uh, in okay, so let's roll this back. Forty years ago, not that long ago. Forty years ago, where we were in the eighties, right? We're in the eighties. Forty years ago, this person's mentally ill, right? this person passes her being mentally ill now she has great power she has been she has been exalted in the insane asylum world that we live in she's one of the she's one of the people she's it's like the inmates are running the prison the inmates are running the asylum now and that's exactly who she is. And they
1: just pop up. I mean, for the it's it's kind of like the Hungarian Soviet of nineteen nineteen. That's kind of the, the historical analogy that I'm using, where a bunch of Cheka, you know, they had they they brought down the Hungarian Republic, it brought in this central government Cheka style control, and there was a huge war on local police under the guise of reform. And uh, for instance, Al Sharpton, he's calling for federal control over law, local law enforcement, special prosecutors, which I call corrupt star chambers. And yep. so you, you get going to produce government similar to the Hungarian Soviet of 1990, who rule large parts of the United States during, I think, a civil war. They won't be able to do it everywhere, but they'll, they'll, they'll get rid of anybody that's a sane police officer. They won't last long. Look at that. Is that her?
0: Yeah. She, her, her in question marks.
1: She looks like a
0: transgender. I, I, I put money on it. Yep. I put money on it. Even though there's a bit of a concave there with the Adam's apple, they have ways of dealing with that, man. That is, that is, she's terrifying. She's absolutely terrifying. And of course you have the, uh, the purple here. You got a little, I think that's climped. Isn't it on the, uh, Gustav Klimt on the, on the wrist there. Um, yeah, Al Sharpton. She'll, she'll,
1: she'll run the Gulag reeducation guards. Yeah.
0: And yeah. The,
1: the, that's, that's going to be your, uh, that's going to be meet. That's going to be for Whitey to meet. And there's a, an awful lot of hate on, on Twitter. I kind of spotted some, you know, there's, here's Carmen Beauty X. And she writes, I say we shove big black I'll just let you fill in the bl- blank on that into the throats of white women across the nation, make their women record it, make the kids watch. We had to be traumatized. Now it's y'all's turn. And then 50, 50 cent, which is actually another woman or kind of a tranny looking woman says, uh, I volunteer. Oh, great. So they got lots of, they got lots of very hate filled people bring in to run the camps, run the uh, re-education centers, the gulags, the police of this new uh, concept they have in mind. So the local, like I say, the lo- local police are portrayed as bumpkins and morons and uh, that portrayal is false and exaggerated. And, and the thing is that local police have community ties and a lot, lot more likely to be sympathetic and accountable to their localities you really, it's a really good concept, community policing, and local police. And the crime syndicate wants to break this traditional relationship down, replacing it by using this uh, Israeli police model and worse kind of a freak police model. Yes. You know, pr- probably going way beyond what the Israelis would do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a bit of a sadomasochistic um, strain that runs through that community. I'm just, I'm sorry, but it's there, right? There's a sadomasochistic piece to it all, and that's under. And when you get into sadomasochism, right? What you're really talking about, you're talking about things like BDSM, and BDSM is just a power game, and that's exactly you know what the the person you were, you were quoting on Twitter was talking about. Like that's a power game. You know, we're going to force. We're going to be the top. And we're going to make all these, quote unquote, white women be the bottoms. And, it, and it's right out of the Marquis de Sade. It, this is just an absolutely sick and twisted and perverted way of dealing with one's own sense of powerlessness. So that's the other part of this, Russ, is that a lot of people feel incredibly powerless in the world because they don't have a spiritual foundation. They have no spiritual foundation. They're rudderless. They're like orphans being picked up um, by the artful Dodger, and, you know, and, and being, being brought into the pickpocket gang. They're rudderless. They have no spiritual foundation. Fagan is waiting for them. And and, and we're seeing the, the the results of the powerless getting just a few little bits of power just a few little bits of power and they're so starved and they're so hungry and so disempowered that when they get it, they foam at the mouth. They're almost. And they, kind
1: of, and they all kind of reinforce each other with this kind of stuff I just read. You know, That's the and, other part of and, it. And, nor- and it was, it was normalize it and normalize it.
0: it. It's a groupthink, and normalization comes in. This is a v- setting, very dangerous precedents. And all this started with Obama. It all started with Obama when Obama failed to renounce. A lot of these things, like that thing that you just pointed to, was if I'm not mistaken, the the Dallas thing. Wasn't Obama president then? If I'm not mistaken, I think he was president. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's right. There were a lot of these things that were happening. Um, oh, by the way, by the way, prior to that shooting in Dallas, and that's starting to kick into my head a little bit. There was a small art show that had taken place in Dallas where the artist had anti-Muslim art. So and that was staged. Like they wanted to stage that. And right on the heels of that, you have this thing happening. Okay, this is interesting. And Obama never renounced any of it. He never said, look, this has to stop. We're Americans. Right. You may have your differences, but we're going to, we're not going to tolerate this. We're Americans and we're going to, we're going to, We're going to defend our constitutional rights to the fullest and we are not going to tolerate the tearing away, the fabric of our society, our culture, and our nation. He never did that. And what he did is he enabled more and more and more of it. And we're still in the enabling phase now.
1: Well, the the Buffalo operation is all about demonization of what they call white extremists, and the ADL was up there within hours with all the talking points. And it's very much uh, talking about how nasty, evil white people are.
0: Yeah. So the whole Buffalo thing, which we've got I mean, into. I
1: mean, the, I mean, the way they worded worded, it, it says white people believe in this anti-Semitic theory called a the great replacement. The polls show that. And therefore, all these people are dangerous extremists based upon... One fake incident in Buffalo.
0: Right. So one of the things we talked about is the whole Buffalo symbolism, which is rife, right? I mean, it is, it is, it is fertile, like a field of Buffalo patties. I mean, that's how rife it is. Um, And when you go back and you look at January 6th, you know, who stands out in January 6th? It's the Buffalo shaman. The guy who has the flag painted on his face, you know, he's got the Buffalo hat on, he's got the Buffalo horns. He's associated with January 6th. So where are they going to have the January 6th event or the, or the redux? Well, why not Buffalo? Because on a subconscious level, that's what people are going to remember. They're going to remember this guy with his Buffalo hat, extremist like another
1: extremist yeah, yeah. a a, car, a cartoon world extremist exactly fake.
0: cartoon world extremist and fake we yeah. he's fake we have no idea if he's really in jail or not we don't
1: know but you know the, th- the thing about this buffalo thing in particular I would highly recommend people get a hold of the fetster evaluation and Brian Davidson that they did because you were you will really see through this one this is a, a really shoddy operation and you got to get your heads out of your ass folks because you, you can't just keep giving these people passes and and I know everybody's just refuses to they don't nobody wants to be accused of being Alex Jones or a conspiracy theorist. that's what it is. you, you know you got to get over that because this is very serious stuff and I predicted it after the, the uh, Wasachha Christmas parade event and the Brooklyn event. We talked about that, right? We talked about Brooklyn, right? You know, do a um, show on
0: that? I'm not sure. I don't think so.
1: Okay. Well, the, 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 after those events, I came right out and I said, you know, don't gloat over this being a person of, of color, being the, the perp, because the next one's going to be a white supremacist. It's right. coming. And right. I, was, I was right. And I would go over to places like Unstreve and engage these guys over there. There's a bunch of know-it-alls that have never looked into these events. Don't know what the heck they're talking about. They just ran me out of town. I re- I really got a you know a poor reception over there trying to wake people up. And I said, well, you know, they're coming for you because the white supremacist is next. And I don't even want to go over there and see what these people are thinking because you're going to lose. You're gonna lose if you don't start waking up to these events. So I, I, I consider these stages deceptions, I know they get kind of tiresome, particularly for people that know about it already and kind of under, understand it, but they're really it's really important to evaluate these things. Uh, I, I think that showing this particular video will have a high level of success and conversion, conversion and waking people up. A lot of people will see it for what it is. I've shown it to some of my friends here in the, my country, you know, Europeans, including some people that have kind of laughed at me a little bit for my always calling it a fake. And they looked at it and said, this is a CG, this is computer graphics. They saw it. I said, well, you're not laughing at me quite as much now, are you? No. So, so it's, this one's got a high conversion rate.
0: So I wanted to show you something here. I um uh, I saved this on Twitter. And the the again the the, the narrative is that um, Ramos um went in through the back door. Right. Here's the back door of the school, right here. And over here is the front door of the school where theoretically everybody is staged and the the if you go back and you look at um here me see if i get the the verbiage on this you
1: can't you you can't just walk in the back door no you can't united states they're locked up
0: yeah so So this is
1: so how did that happen that had that had to be a total fluke for him to have gotten through there
0: well you so in texas because i i have I have i have a i have a teenager who's graduating from high school here in texas next weekend. And I and we moved here uh, when he was in the third grade. So I'm pretty familiar with how kids check in and check out of the school system from the elementary level through the middle school level through the high school level. And I got to tell you, it is a couple of yards short of being almost like a penitentiary. Uh, it's, there's that much security involved. And in fact, after 9-11, Texas, no, it was after Sandy Hook. It was after Sandy Hook, Texas passed these really intense security laws for classrooms. And being able to get in to uh, these areas is very difficult. So here's what this tweet says. The police stated today that the perp entered an unblocked back door. These images prove the green arrow is of a person um that took the video of the perp entering the school so the green arrow is here right that's the green arrow and they are entering the school from this position this is the back door and by the way most schools in texas if not all of them they have cameras they have cameras they have cameras in the hallways they have cameras everywhere
1: yeah this the school security thing is not a new topic <laughs> for <No>. heaven's <other> sakes.
0: <laughs> no and so what what we're what, what we're looking at here is a complete in fabrication here i even pulled this in in anticipation of talking about this how texas school security has changed since sandy hook i mean this yeah. is from 2013 12 13 13 Saturday marks the one-year anniversary of the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary. So school. the guy
1: crashes the car, runs around. I yeah. heard twelve minutes outside, engaging different, you know, firing into a, like a cemetery. I
0: mean, the story guy? just
1: keeps changing.
0: Right. Just yeah, it, the changing. story just
1: keeps changing. Well, because it makes it, it just makes it sound emotional. You know, here's a here's a guy running amok. Nobody's really doing anything about it. Nobody's taking him out. No, you know, nobody's closing in on him and shooting him with a taser. You know the different devices that police have. And he's walking around doing this for 12 minutes, and then just happens to walk into a secured school. It, it's that's cartoon world. I'm sorry, that's really all you need to know. And then so- and then engage and then engages police the three police officers which we've already discussed right. wins the battle, and then get and then gets into a school room that's also secured and closed, locked. You can't just walk into a school classroom in the middle of session and show up and shoot people. The doors are locked. Right. So he's he's gone over multiple security barriers to get to his final objective of shooting, what, 19 people or 21 people or whatever the latest story is. Impossible.
0: So I wanted to bring this up. This is just from a couple of days ago. In fact, it was yesterday. and this, this absolutely illustrates what I'm talking about in terms of using an AR and being able to wound not one, not two, but three police officers who are likely in a spread formation. So check this story out, Russ. This is a really great compare and contrast story. This is from uh, West Virginia. Woman legally carrying gun kills man who shot into a crowd, police say. A woman in West, Virginia, in West Virginia fatally shot a man who began firing an AR-15 style rifle into a crowd of people that had gathered for a party, authorities said. Dennis Butler was killed Wednesday night after he pulled out the rifle and began shooting at dozens of people attending the birthday graduation party outside of an apartment complex in the city of Charleston, police said in the statement. The woman who was attending the party drew a pistol and fired, killing Butler. The statement said no one at the party was injured. Okay, let's just look at that. You got a guy who's got an AR-15, party's close quarters. It's not like you're spread out. This guy supposedly is firing the AR-15
1: Nobody, yeah, gets be, Nobody gets he hurt.
0: Nobody gets hurt. Even should have dropped a whole bunch of people. Exactly. So there's either two things here that are possible. One is that it didn't happen, but we'll, for the sake of the argument lip, we'll say it did happen. The other thing that's possible is that he's not a very good shot.
1: Yeah. Or he didn't and, get in or he didn't really get into range. That's a possibility. I mean, well, that, that it's possible. You know, it's possible. There's it's enough possible. hate
0: out there. You it's know, possible. even
1: if, even the guy in Buffalo, I'm willing to acknowledge that there are people that hate blacks. I, I will acknowledge that, but they're not going to carry it out by going after grandmothers, or like Dylan Roof going into the a church study in a church and killing grandmothers up there.
0: Really, right?
1: right. You know, I, I could see them maybe doing a shooting some gangbangers on the corner, or or picking out some high high value targets. He said he said in his manifesto, "Kill high-profile enemies." That's what he ranted in his manifesto. And then they, they never kill high-value targets, right? I can't think of it. I can't think of any real. I mean, kind of surprises me in a way. I would think there'd be some high-level assassinations
0: going well, on. The only the, the only guy who fits the profile, but he fits it from the other side, is Steve Scalise, who was shot at the uh, softball game in the Senator from Louisiana. Um, and if we were to believe that uh, what, Rand Paul kind of a high profile target got beaten up by his neighbor. Um, and then it, he, when there was a clip, a video clip of Rand Paul, I think from 20, maybe 2020, uh, he was in Washington with his wife. And I think maybe one of his aides and one of his security guys. And he was, he was walking from some kind of a public event he got seriously harassed.
1: Yeah, sure. Seriously that's, harassed. That's real. Yeah. And you, you could kill him. Somebody yep. could kill him. Yep. You know, when I was in Washington, D.C. once, you know, visiting my son. We were going, going out and we went by a restaurant and it had kind of an open window in there. And we looked in there and there's a group of people sitting dining. And one of them was friggin' Ben Bernanke. Oh, God. He didn't have any security. I I walked by, you know, 20 years ago, there's a bookstore in Seattle, in Laurelhurst, not too far from where Bill Gates' family lived, and I walked right by him in in a Barnes and Noble, right by me, no security, none, none that I could see, now maybe that's changed, but we're, have all, to say, these, have to we're say, all these high value we're, I mean I'm not giving anybody any ideas I'm not promoting this I'm just right. saying this is the reality this is the right. reality the situation
0: right. right they're always they're always going after low hanging fruit whatever and even if they are supposedly injured or dead or whatever whatever their case is um, whether these things are actually real not a hybrid event right but that, to your point n- nobody of any import Ever. I mean, Gendron,
1: Ever. Gendron writes in his so-called manifesto, he, he says, rich people need to pay pay their fair share. Well, that's not such a crazy idea. That's not such a crazy idea. But that's a, it's a Bernie it's talk- idea.
0: That's a Bernie idea.
1: Yeah, it's a Bernie idea, right. But curiously, the targets of his rampage were old, like these old, poor black people. And he was begging. How about the story where he's there the day before doing recon, and they had to ask him to leave the store because he was begging panhandling for the poor black customers in there. Come on.
0: So I've, I've heard, I can't, can't uh, validate this as being completely true, but I've heard he was charged with only one homicide in that event. Only one. So whatever those other nine people were, he apparently he's not being charged for the death of those nine people. And the the homicide he's being charged for, I think, is the security guard. The weird part about the security guard, and I've seen the link to this, apparently the security guard had a YouTube channel where he was working on water-enhanced or or water-powered engines, which is really weird. Now, let's say he is dead, right? Let's say he is dead. He's not a CGI pop-up or whatever. If they wanted to kill somebody who was working on something like this, would they have to go through this elaborate staged event in order to take, take him out? No, they could do it any number of ways. If they wanted to, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But, but it's a strange coincidence that he's working on some kind of advanced alternative fuel delivery system using water. And he's one of the victims. High strange
1: well, you know the the other thing that you hear from the what I call pajama people is they can't accept the idea. Well, what about these victims? You know, those here are their pictures are right there in the newspaper. Uh, that who are these people? You can't hide that bullshit. That's what these guys do. That's what stagecraft and spycraft is. I mean, go go watch the movie Little Drummer Girl. The, the stagecraft, the cutouts, the uh, fake personas that they use this is what they do they've done it for centuries they're expert at it so it's just nonsense to think that you they, they couldn't use cutouts and fake personas
0: it's easy, easy. his name has even changed
1: did you well, to- ac- according to uh, the, sh- the show i did with uh Betzer and uh what's his name I, I gotta get get his brian name is it
0: brian something
1: well no the other guy uh oh, damn i gotta mention his name because he's really good danny cyrus uh, danny cyrus yeah according to danny cyrus now danny cyrus has checked the uh public records for this guy can't find him anywhere and i mentioned that i i know that he was born in north dakota he says no he's not up there so he hasn't even been able to identify this guy Guy in public records.
0: Well, so here's here's the weird the weird thing, is that at the at the when the whole Buffalo thing started, they actually reported the shooter under a different name, and I believe the guy's name was Fred Mortensen. Yeah, that's just throw people off. But then it becomes Peyton Gedron, and then his name changes to Peyton Gendron. Yep. Right. It it was Gedron when this whole thing started, now they drop an N in Gendron like, like gender It's, it's bizar- the whole thing is bizarre. And by finding, I, I,
1: I think that's part of stage graph because it just kind of sends people going down blind alleys.
0: I, th- I think it is too. When I first encountered this was the um, Aurora Colorado shootings with James Lee Holmes. And I started to look at those victims. They were either still alive or they didn't exist. Like a whole slate of victims, not alive, didn't exist. And it's like, how come nobody's talking about this? You know, it's like, they're just going to gloss right over it and they're going to run out. Honestly, I'm not even convinced that that was James Holmes, who they were running out into the trial. If it was James Holmes, he had been completely mk ultra.
1: Well, James Holmes is, you know, they did have a trial and he's sitting there mm-hmm. in the trial. So that was filmed right? In kind of a funny way. Yeah. But that's been about it for him.
0: And he He's, looks like he looks like a total basket case,
1: drugged, right? Drugged In fact, up. he said he was drugged, he, he admitted it, he, he blurted it out. He said, it. I've been drugged,
0: yeah,
1: mind controlled.
0: Yeah, that gets into we talked about this last time uh, that you and I got on and started to break this stuff down. He He actually comes from the same part of the world as, um, what's his name? John Ernest, who was the shooter at the, uh, at the temple, the Chabad temple in Poway, California. They literally come from the same, like within the same zip code. That's the same zip code It's weird. It's very weird. You start to go down that rabbit hole. Then you get into, uh, Emma Gonzalez. Oh, there's that name again, got Gonzalez, Emma Gonzalez. And she actually lived her mother lived in, um, what's, what is it? Um, Rancho, was it Rancho Santa Fe? Right, right, right in that area. And so you also have the David Hogg connections with that area of San Diego and then sort of South Orange County, like all, it just gets all kind of twisted and entangled when you start to, you know, uncover this stuff. The other thing, Russ, I, and I don't know if you, follow my Twitter feed much, but, and I know that I do follow you and you do follow me. But um, if you go back and you look at the date of the Isla Vista shooting, uh, which was with Elliot Roger, that was 523. The date of the shooting in Ivaldi was 524. And then the George Floyd event was 525. So you have these three events.
1: Busy, so, busy time of year. Huh? <laughs> all,
0: all clustered. Right. In those that three-day period. So um, what do you think is going to happen next? What's your What's your sense?
1: Uh, I would start looking for more for these sort of sideline issues, maybe a little away from the, the gun control because they're going to, they can actually use the gun control. Kind of as a diversion, and, and then there there are reasonable people out there that want gun control. To me, it's not a totally cut and dry issue. I, I favor gun ownership because it's kind of a safety valve for people to resist the, the crime syndicate. But some, you know, here in Europe there aren't any guns. It's pretty nice, <laughs> you know. So I, I get I get that part of it, but look out for these sidebar issues, this pre-crime stuff, the mental health stuff, you know, snats. Snatch ups, look out for the uh, the national takeover of the police, because people aren't really looking there.
0: Yeah.
1: It's too, I think there's too much focus on the gun control that, that that's their only motive. I think it's much more than
0: that. Well, they seem to be uh, interlinked. You know, that the that in order to uh, deny people access to a firearm, you have to deem that they're mentally and emotionally incompetent. So therefore you're not going to, you're not going to get that right. And where, where does, where does that slippery slope stop? Oh, you're, you're mentally and emotionally competent to work or you're too mentally, emotionally incompetent to see your child. Meanwhile, you've got Colonel, Colonel purple hair, uh, running the, uh, national transgender people army. Right. So this is what's going on. It's a strange, bizarre, inverted world where generally, normally sane people who have ideas and thoughts and opinions that are unpopular are deemed mentally ill.
1: Yeah. And they, right. And they use that as the facade to, to go after those people. People like you and me, for example, we fit into that.
0: Oh, without, without a doubt. You know, I mean, I, yeah. Without a doubt,
1: I mean it's it's not too big of a stretch to say somebody's a paranoid or dangerous mentally ill. Most mentally ill people aren't dangerous, you know they're not. Even schizophrenics. So it's still, I would
0: agree. They- I would agree. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. The people who are the most dangerous are the ones who appear totally sane.
1: Right, the ones who are really sane. Yeah, the Ted the Ted Bundy's. I mean, he, those he was,
0: are the scary, scary ones, right? Those are the scary
1: ones, right? Like, Mike, they, Mike
0: Mike Pence looked totally sane, didn't he? <laughs> What's going on between those years? <laughs> scary. So,
1: so that's uh, you, you get the purple hair lady running this kind of stuff, and they can snatch you up, and that's what they did in Hungary and the Soviet Union. They just they love to put people in mental institutions.
0: Absolutely. And this is a little far afield, but some of the work that I've done and I've had other people come on the show and talk about are the appearance of sanitariums really early on in the history of this country. And not just any kind of, these are massive buildings, buildings that are kind of in the middle of nowhere and buildings, by the way, that people can't really explain how they were built during a time where there was very little population. And the ability to move around these resources, mainly large blocks of granite and all the other things that go inv- that are involved in the creation of these buildings, they're just not there. You're pulling stuff around with a horse and a buggy. Let's just be honest here. And yet we have these major buildings that now become sanitariums. Well, why? Why did they deem them to be sanitariums? I think the the consensus here is that there were people that were floating around during this time who might have been hip to another version of society or another version of reality that might have existed in a way that we're not aware of, and they're around to tell the tale. They're saying, look, this is something, this is different. You guys, you guys are hatching a completely different version of what the world is. So what do they do? They run them off into these sanitariums. And I, I got to tell you, Russ, the amount of sanitariums that pop up during this time, the time I'm talking about is just pre like 1900s. So like the late 1800s, this it's, 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 a, it's phenomenal. These sanitariums.
1: Oh yeah. Like that big sanitarium there at Newport, uh, Connecticut, <laughs> down the road from Sandy hook.
0: Yeah, there you go. Right. I, I
1: mean, you, I, you should, people should go take it. You can uh, go inside there. People have done tours in there. Massive, massive facilities.
0: So, well, so I think here's what happens. I think when a society is about to go through a sea change, when, when we are, are, are being told that there's a reset that's imminent, there are people who are resistant because they know and understand that what's coming is not in their best interest. And then what they do is they dig their heels in and they're saying, I'm gonna die on this hill and not on my watch. So they'll do everything in their power to deem these people mentally unfit. And that's that's because we're in a sea change now and we're moving into this idea of the reset, which by the way, Davos was happening At the same time, this event was happening. They're laying out their plans in Davos. What are we talking about? We're talking about a crazy, possibly transgender kid who can't somehow afford the weapons, nor, to your point, which you brought up, even physically bring them in. Because of the amount of ammo and the amount of guns, it's like, are you kidding me? No, it's not possible. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about... How they're running out uh, personal carbon credit apps, which they will have, They're moving us into the carbon credit economy. So this is this is a big deal. This is
1: well. A- the, the, the other thing of note is also here's a th- here's a little tweet that went out from something called Independent Voices, which is a shit, you know shitlib outfit, and it says far right attacks like the Buffalo shooting are the product of free speech absolutism. I mean, the first question I'd kind of ask is, "Attacks in the plural." So, so even if you believe this Gendron went after black grannies for real, that's one attack. So I'm not quite sure why they use the plural on that. Right. Right.
0: Um, well, they use the plural because they want to. They want to, pardon the pun, whitewash everything. They make everything about this now. Yeah, and
1: then it goes on to say, "Opinion: One, unfettered free speech get far right attacks like Buffalo." The fact that 4chan, I mean, 4, 4chan may radicalize people a little bit, but they're not going to go out and do this. Come on. 4chan and websites like that are able to continue with impunity after multi, multiple terrorist attacks. So, See all the shadow language they use? Yeah. It's, it's just like weird language, just invented languages to describe this. It's so mind-boggling to me that I'm not. So in other words, the use of shadow language, the use of these uh, incorrect term use of language, the incorrect uh, use of what has actually transpired, no consideration of the reality of what's transpired. There's a lot to pick apart there.
0: So I've been thinking about... um people uh, in general, their lives in general. And just a few days ago, there's a kind of a sports writer gadfly that lives in California named Grant Cohn. And I've been following Grant for a while. He started off as a writer for the uh, Santa Rosa Press Democrat. His father Lowell Cohn um, was a sports writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. And Lowell Cohn was not really well-liked in terms of uh, the athletes and even some of the people who wrote his columns. But, you know, he was interesting. And sometimes Lowell would say things to disturb shit. And other times Lowell would say things that were accurate and on the money. And he would say them probably in ways that other people would take offense to, right? Now we're in this society where people are so easily fucking offended, that it boggles my mind. So Grant Cohn, little son, got a boost up and started to do stuff on uh, SB Nation, I think. And um, he has uh, a YouTube stream. Uh, He's got a Twitter account. He goes to the 49ers, he covers them. And he's like, he's like a mosquito. And he'll poke and he'll poke and he'll poke. But I've never heard Grant get personal. Like he's never talked about any of these athletes in a personal way. He's never questioned their intelligence. He's never questioned anything about how they run their personal lives. So he's kept it pretty much at a high-level football level, but he's annoying. He can be really, really annoying. So last week of practice, there's this guy named Javon Kinlaw who plays for the 49ers. He's a first round pick top 10 pick. So you expect your top 10 pick to be able to play well three years into his career. Javon Kinlaw is not doing really well. And Grant Cohn has noted that like, does he have, or his knees unable to play in the NFL? I mean, these are, look, people may think sports is garbage and who or whatever. It's fine, but we can take the temperature where things are with sports. They, They are kind of a weather vein with our culture now. So Javon Kinlaw walks up to him at practice and gets behind him, He walks all the way across the field. He's not suited up, by the way. And then he starts to uh, verbally attack him from behind. Right? I've never, I've never heard of this, by the way, from an athlete and a sports writer, and you've been kind of around that world and you kind of know how it works. Yeah, there's a
1: lot, there's a lot of trash talking. There's right. a lot, right? I mean, I mean was, among, among teammates, among management, even right. among coaches. I mean, you have to have a kind of a thick skin to be gotta have a thing. thick
0: skin. I mean, there's a whole Jordan Rules book, right? right? So so you know all about this stuff. Anyway, Javon Kinlaw, Grant Cohn's wearing a cap. Javon Kinlaw flips his cap off of him on the sideline of practice. I've never heard about anything like that before. And I've been following sports for a long time. Uh, Athletes generally don't cross that line. He did at that practice. So Grant, of course, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to talk about it. So he has a show where he starts to talk about what happened. By the, by the end of the show, Javon Kinlaw, the player from the 49ers shows up on his show. (laughs) I've never seen anything. You got, you like got this my one.
1: interest on this one. Go ahead,
0: <laughs> Russ. I've never seen this before. Okay, Kinlaw goes on there. He's he's got a mouthful of food. While he's <laughs> trying to while he's trying to call him out, so so and eventually, John Kinlaw starts comparing nut size. That grants little white nuts shriveled up, right? So he goes into some very dark territory you know like like he's he's not comporting himself the way the 49ers would like to have one of their rounds. I, I can't tell you that right now yeah. and it's unfortunate but he's especially, also especially in public you can do kind of in private in but... private you can talk shit all you want yeah now he's doing this in public and um I, again i hate to say this it's stereotypical right like if you're sitting back and you were looking at that thing, you know, oh, that that dumb fucking so-and-so, right? I mean, that's exactly how he's showing up. You know, instead of co- coming up to Grant at practice, say, hey, look, man, I think your, your comments are getting a little too close to the bone with some of the players. I'd like to talk to you about them after practice. Well, he doesn't do that. Instead, what does he do? He knocks his hat off like a schoolyard bully, right? This is what it's about. So this thing got national. Jason Whitlock talked about it. Um, and Jason's of course on the press side of things because he's a journalist. I think Lawrence Taylor threatened to kill him one time or something like that. I mean, Jason didn't make a lot of friends. He had one friend and that was, that was, um, uh, what's his name? Derek Thomas. He and Derek Thomas were buddies. Um, so Jason of course is going to be more supportive of, of, of Grant because all it is, is just journalism. Like if you don't like it, fucking play better play better. You know, don't take it out on the guy who's calling you out on your arthritic knees, you know, play better. But that's, the, so this Will thing, Will Smith thing changed how we interact with public figures now. Because he crossed that line, whatever you think of that event, stage, not stage quasi-stage, he crossed the line. Now, the blowback that I've seen with this whole thing with Grant Cohn. This is the part I wanted to bring up because I had to set the stage for it a little bit. The people who are going after Grant Cohn now are saying that, well, he's got to be more even. He's got to be more objective. He's got to do this. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything. If there's anything you need to do is not watch his channel. Right. Or unsubscribe from his Twitter feed. Right. He doesn't have to change any, but this is and, the problem. You know, the, other, the
1: other thing is that if the, if the athletes don't like this guy, they don't have to give him access.
0: Well, he doesn't get access. So he's okay. doing, he, he's doing reporting. He's doing quasi.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to treat these athletes fairly w- well to get access to them. That's just the you way gotta it kiss, is. You got
0: to kiss their ass. Right. Bottom line. And I'm pretty convinced that as far as fans go, athletes at best tolerate them at best and that the worst they probably despise them. So it's already kind of a, a weird rel- so the fans come out and now they're all after Grant Cohn. You know they're all after him because you know he he's he's you know not he's not allowing he's not treating the 49ers fairly enough. He's toxic. He's poisoning the 49ers. Don't let him in the building. Pat McAfee, former player who's a, turned into real slob douchebag Says that the 49ers should revoke his press pass. So this is so. What's interesting here, Russ?
1: Well, see, there's a try. These teams are tribes. They're gonna they're gonna rally around well, the their players teammates. are tribes for sure.
0: Yeah, they're gonna rally around their
1: teammates and That's support right. him. And, That's they, right. and 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 there's any kind of leadership anymore still left. Somebody will do an well, what, intervention what, with this player, this Grant guy, or the,
0: what? What are the fans doing though? The fans are siding with the player. And they're siding with the organization.
1: Right. Of course. And
0: and I and so what I've derived from this, and 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 I'm not gonna put everybody into this bucket, but I, I've come to the conclusion that the majority of the people on this planet hate themselves and they despise their lives. And that's a byproduct of the culture that we're in now. It may not have been the case 40 years ago or 50 years ago. There may have been more self-care. Like, your, your father was a stand-up guy, took his craft seriously, right? Just a different generation. My father, you know, he made more, never made more than $45,000 a year, but he could plumb a fence, he could change a dishwasher. Like, these were capable men, and they lived their lives without a lot of fanfare. And I think everything's got flipped, and what we have is we have a bunch of incapable men a bunch
1: of, prima don- bunch of prima donnas.
0: Yeah, incapable and thirsting for fanfare. And and it's a, just an absolute distended balance. And so that's why, just to bring this around to our discussion, that's why I think that these situations that are popping up with the false flags, with the uh, the psychological operations, uh, and you've got the, the Purple Hair Army, uh, the pre-crime, all that stuff, that's why ultimately people will be supportive of it because they hate themselves and they, they hate their lives. And so they will have, it's, there's a term for it, it's called schadenfreuden. And so it's a schadenfreuden for the system, for the things that they don't have. You know, And this is where we get into almost like third world kinds of consciousness right? In the third world, it's a big world of haves and have-nots. And you go into third world countries and it can get pretty scary, pretty dangerous. And that third world consciousness has infiltrated the first world here. And now this idea that they want to burn it down, whatever that thing is, they're they're fine with it because they hate their lives and they despise society that, that they're living in. And yet- they have no positive contribution or no answer to the very same thing that they despise.
1: Yeah, they're going to pick out their their imaginary enemies and scapegoats and all this kind of stuff, right?
0: Right. And they hate yeah. Grant. They hate, Look, Grant could be an asshole. I've seen him be an asshole. I've seen Grant, like, sort of dip into the race card every now and then. And I've called him on it, right? But, you know, you're supposed to be able to call people on shit. I still follow him because I think he has some interesting things to say every now and now I'll follow him just because the mobs after him. Now, now I'll follow him, even though I don't really like maybe 10 or 15% of his content. Who cares? Right. Who cares? So,
1: so Grant Cole sounds like he's a white guy, right?
0: Grant Cone. He's, he's white. His father is Jewish and his mother's Italian. What's interesting about his father is his father loves Thomas soul, right? So his father is kind of his father's pretty conservative in terms of his social values. So he, I think his father got his PhD from Stanford. In- so, so he's
1: like a mixed, mixed guy, mixed race guy.
0: Grant's kind mixed. Of- Grant's mixed. He's a, he's, he's mixed. A ten- okay. So he's
1: mixed race. And then the other guy that uh, he had, the was a so-called brother of their black, uh, the black J- J- Javon
0: Kenlaw is black and from South yeah. Carolina. And for, from, you know, everything that I've kind of inferred about his background, Tough background, typical tough sports background, hard life, bad family, kind of lucky to be alive and out of jail. So, so
1: Jamal probably looks at this cone guy as some kind of privileged bl- black. Maybe that's part of what's maybe, going on. In his head. Maybe,
0: maybe Javon. So I think here's what I think has happened to Javon he's listened to Kwame Brown videos, and Kwame Brown, you know who Kwame Brown is, right? He was drafted by Michael Jordan, first round pick. The and Mike and Michael was pretty pretty hard on Kwame, and he I think he lasted two seasons with the right Wizard. right, and Kwame wound up having I think about a thirteen year career in the NBA, and if you're a boss you don't stick around in the NBA for thirteen years, and Kwame once he left the game went about his business, but people kept bringing up all the bus stuff, Stephen A. Smith brought it up, Matt Barnes brought it up, Gilbert Arenas brought it up. And eventually Kwame snapped. It's like, I've been out of the game for seven years. And it's like, I'll you know, quote him, y'all, y'all bringing this up again. And he just said, fuck it. I'm going to let you have it. And there is about a month there where Kwame Brown was a flamethrower. And he was going after Steven Jackson, Matt Barnes, Gilbert Arenas. Um, man, he was just, he was torching him. And then Kwame got into some interesting things. You know, he, he said, look, I'm a man and I got kids. You know, and you're spreading all these rumors. My kids are on the internet. They read this stuff. They hear this. Don't you understand that? Don't you? And to his point, I think he has a point. Like, what he did in the NBA shouldn't necessarily be, like, mocked, especially since he hasn't been in the game for about six or seven years. Now, Javon Kinlaw is playing, and that's different, right? That's different. And the reason why I think he's heard Kwame Brown, he's used some of the same language. He's like, almost like channeling Kwame Brown in certain parts of his uh, little uh, diatribe there. But I think they're different. They're very, very different. Kwame Brown left the game. He's not relevant. And yet they c- continue to make him relevant by calling him the biggest bust of all time. And they're doing it to cash in. 13-year <laughs> yeah. career. Your, your career. <laughs> and, and, Russ, you, you've been around this stuff. You know how hard it is to even be the 12th guy in the team.
1: Uh, to have a 13 year career is pretty amazing, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're the 12th guy on a team, you're still better than 99.9% of everybody else. That's that's, yeah, that's and not,
1: and not, and not everybody gets the opportunity to play for the championship team. Sometimes they have to play for second tier teams. You know, that's just the way it goes, right? Right. Shouldn't exactly. Against them. Shouldn't be held I, against anybody.
0: I, I agree. You know, and the guys are like George
1: Brett, like George Brett, you know, he probably could be bigger, even a bigger star than he was, but he just, you know, he's in Kansas city, his whole career, <laughs> guys could, like that.
0: Could you imagine if Brett had played in Atlanta,
1: right, right? Or New York.
0: Well, Atlanta had the home run park. Like Atlanta's over a thousand feet in the air. And so the balls travel much easier when they're in an elevated park, they had relatively short fences, there's no coincidence that Hank Aaron sets the home run mark by playing the bulk of his career in Atlanta, George Brent in Atlanta, my God, he probably finishes with about 400 home runs, 450 home runs. So you're right. Set and setting mean a lot in these things, but Javon Kinlaw is he's still cutting his teeth. His performance can be judged. That's the bottom line. It can not be judged judging Kwame Brown's performance after he's been out of the game for seven years. Come on. And there's not a lot of meat on that bone.
1: Sounds like these guys are, have a, a shortage of interesting topics.
0: Well, but I think the, the, they're, so, they're, it sounds yeah. like
1: the guys covering the game are a bunch of ne'er-do-well uh, bozos.
0: Well, I, I, I think, you know, you, you look at your general, for instance, if Javon, I, again, you may be boring the shit out of my audience, but if Javon Kinlaw played in a place like New York or Philadelphia, oh, it wouldn't just be some internet guy. It'd be the entire town. These people don't understand. San Francisco's soft, right? It's like everybody wants to get along with each other and chill and be buddy-buddy. You have one fly in the ointment, and then everybody gets up in arms. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it gets into this whole idea of not offending people. You can't offend people. This is no. what this is what Jordan Peterson talks about. And you can't have freedom of speech unless you're offensive. I'm sorry, that's the bottom line, bottom line. And now we're in a society where everything is watered down, dumbed down, mediocre, middle of the road, and even being slightly offensive makes you stick out from the crowd. You're no longer doing kumbaya with the NPCs.
1: Yeah, here's kind of what I have on, on this topic. I'll, let me just read this because I think it ties into a little bit what's going on. I say plastic words and phrases are language which is used so commonly but loosely as to lose its meaning. It is used for stagecraft, theatrical performance, rather than to convey clear meaning. With minimal, substantive meaning and clear definition, they are useful as tools of Orwellian misdirection and lies. They are widely used as tools of propaganda and are particularly insidious when passed into law. Well, that's what that, that that's what guy is doing with that uh, comment about right-wing extremism.
0: Yep. He,
1: he, he's very loose with events the interpretation of what these events actually were and the use of his his language and just stretching it as far as he can. And I, am amazed that people could get away with that.
0: Yeah. Well, if you could, it's the hate
1: thing you're talking about. eh? It is the hate thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think most people are living their two minutes of hate on a daily basis and they hate their lives. They despise society and anything that allows them a moment of schadenfreude it's, it's like uh it's like being born again. And this is a very, very um, it's a very dangerous place for our society to be.
1: Well, the larger message I'll leave with everybody is you can't let these guys get away with these events and then interpret it the way they want. And you know, you, you, you've got to educate your friends. There's too many people that believe these are real events,
0: huge problem. Yep. Well, yeah. And then we could probably do a whole other show about how to soften up their craniums so that you may be able to get inside there. But uh, most people are just terrified now and they're forcing people into the safe and secure camp, which is a whole other discussion and part of the psychological operation. Russ, it's been great. I know it's getting late over there and uh, you probably need your beauty sleep so you can get up and train, train. Enjoy it as always,
1: Robert. Thanks a lot.
0: So we'll see you again on the last Friday of next month of June, because you're going to be here as a regular fixture now on the last Friday. So we can recap some of these things. And if you you are not familiar with Russ's site, it's winterwatch.net. You go on over there and check into all of great Russ's great research into a lot of these things that we're talking about today. So in the meantime, Russ, you take good care of yourself.
1: Okay. See you, man. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Okay. So that was Russ Winter. Um, We'll be back on Sunday night. I'm going to get out of here now. I'm going to go do something. Um, I'll see you guys on Sunday night here on this channel. 8 p.m. I'm going to start changing the time. Uh, Not this week, but next week, we're going to start to run Sunday Night Astro Live at 6 p.m. Central, because it's a more reasonable time for everybody. Okay. Um, Much love to you all. Stay strong. Stay loose. Stay limber. Stay human. And use your head in order to discern what's real your heart to sip, what's possible and a big shout out to my girl lynette in southern oregon and who's saying goodbye to her dear friend philbert tonight who um is not going to be able to make it in his little physical body uh, we're losing another one of our um, really important um you know animal guardians so lynette uh, we're all with you and um enjoy your your uh, last day with phil and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye for now.